Cross-court pass to Yuta. Pump fakes, drives, fires from the right side. Jumper is good! Are you kidding me? Yuta Watanabe, the long three, picking up where he left off. Eight on the shot clock. Jorgensen settles in long three from the left side is good. Paul Jorgensen, huge arc on that one, and a beautiful drop through. 33-19, largest lead of the game for the Colonials. They have seven threes here in the first half. Joe McDonald gets it across court to Savage, splits the defenders, comes up the middle of the floor, down the lane, layup at the left hand. Oh, yeah! Keith and Savage takes it all the way past Tyshawn Powell. 63-51 Colonials. Savage now has seven. Four seconds left, and that's going to do it. George Washington is going to advance to the quarterfinals of the 2015 Atlantic 10 Tournament, defeating Duquesne 73-255. Well, I guess I'm going to just start right here. Um, welcome back to the first time in, I think, like four months uh, to an episode of Hail to the Buff, and um, there's no better time to come back than the Atlantic 10 tournament, and there's no better person to come back with than the man, the myth, the legend, Byron Kerr. And, and Byron, I want to make sure that everyone understands right now, right here, you and I were going to start this interview about seven, eight minutes ago, and you texted me <laughs> and said, I can't talk right now. And Byron, why couldn't you talk to me right now? Well, uh, you know, we're we're at a, a very nice hotel, obviously, in the Brooklyn area, which will remain nameless. But uh, there was, uh, you know, they have to eat uh, after the game is over, and it's so late. Usually, they have a nice team team meal. But uh, some of the basketball staff let me know that there were buffalo wings left over downstairs. So as soon as I saw that, that was like, you know, the Batman sign on top of the building. <laughs> I, I ran down there and got a plateful of buffalo wings and some blue cheese dressing to celebrate uh, a very nice George Washington victory tonight and a good start here in the A-10 tournament. <laughs> Byron, you didn't – wait a second. First you said, dude, hold on, free wings. <laughs> you did not tell me, dude, hold on, free leftover wings that I have to scavenge. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I'm only the radio announcer. I mean, these are, this is for the, the, the guys that, uh, you know, did all the work and everything. So um, – um, I, I take what I take what's left over. It's it's very glamorous job being the play-by-play announcer. Well, people who are listening to the podcast have already heard some of the highlights. The final score: George Washington seventy-three, Duquesne fifty-five. GW will move on, and in about twenty-one hours, yep. less even less than that, we'll take on uh, Rhode Island. And Byron, before we talk about this Rhode Island matchup, mm-hmm. let's break break down this Duquesne game. Um, you know, ironically, GW won this game by a much larger margin than any other game that was played today. And still, and mostly because of a guy by the name of Micah Mason who played 39 minutes and scored 22 points, the game never felt fully in GW's hands. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's he's just a great player. He, he had a step back three in the first half, which was ridiculous with the shot clock winding down. He had an an NBA times two type uh, three-pointer where he's like beyond like a couple of three-point lines from the right side. So the kid, just an amazing shooter. And I saw this all season long where he can also drive the ball and do a nice little teardrops off the glass and stuff. He did that against St. Louis. He did one of those again tonight. So him and Derek Coulter uh, and Jeremiah Jones are all the three, the big horses on Duquesne that are very difficult to stop. Um, and he, he got them to 50-46, but uh, really a, an amazing performance tonight, David, for GW, as they, they were leading from start to finish in this game, and 
you know, the way they came out so confident uh, in the first few minutes, and they were up 7 nothing, uh, where they were just uh, in a flow of their offense, waiting for the open shot and just burying the shots. It was just so refreshing to see them come out with such confidence. And, uh, you know, I was thinking to myself during the game, as I was calling the game, I hope they can continue this kind of feel because that's the way they played, uh, Dave, the last you know, four or five games is with confidence again. That's how they beat Wichita State. That's how they beat Dayton is because they played with confidence, and that's what they're going to need against Rhode Island. Four Colonials in double figures. John Capriva with nine points. Uh, an impressive statistic if you looked at what some of these Colonials box scores were looking like in the past. Uh, 18 points coming off the bench, uh, something you probably wouldn't have heard of uh, for a long time. Uh, except for the fact that Keith and Savage, one of those reserves, playing just 21 minutes, seven points. And Byron, I want to talk about Keith and specifically in just a few minutes. Duquesne shot 10 of 20 from three-point land, which you know would be a terrifying statistic if it wasn't for the fact that GW matched that shot for shot. And you've got to give all the credit in the world to two guys for that. Um, most importantly, Joe McDonald and, and uh, Yuta Watanabe. Uh, a combined six for 12, and really they set the tone in that first half. Yeah, I mean, Utah Watanabe on Saturday against UMass, one of the more impressive uh, shooting performances. I mean, I read about Greg Colucci at GW, and of course I got to see Nemanja Mikic hit seven in a non-conference game, I believe it was. But how important was Utah hitting seven of ten three-pointers against UMass? I mean, that was absolutely ridiculous. They were 14 of 18 in that game as a team. And uh, he came out on fire again today, hit some big threes from the corner to start the game and set the tone against that Duquesne zone, the 2-3, which was difficult for GW to crack at Pittsburgh, even though they crushed that zone at the Smith Center. That's why I keep going back to confidence, David. If they can come into this Rhode Island game feeling confident about shooting from the outside, they will be able to beat the Rams because that's what hurt them uh, at Kingston late in January is they didn't quite have the confidence from the outside. And uh, Utah's just got such an amazing stroke. He hit a great runner to begin the game from the right baseline uh, where he was just in the flow. And that's, you know, that's kind of the key of this whole thing, David, is the confidence of Utah Watanabe. If he feels confident in his shot, if he feels confident in slashing, driving, attacking, which he did tonight a couple of times, that will bode very well in this tournament for GW because they need that kind of a, a guy, uh, whether he's starting or off the bench, to kind of mix it up. Uh, he's a nice, you know, uh, change of pace, if you will, David, from like a Joe McDonald or a Kevin Larson. Yeah, Utah's an interesting guy, and I think the language barrier has a lot to do with it. His youth has a lot to do with it. Utah seems like a guy that when he hits the three and he kind of pops it on his forehead a little bit, to you know, he he has a brief moment of celebration mm -hmm. but you know when I felt like you knew that Isaiah Armwood in the past felt disrespected his junior year especially when he really received virtually no Atlantic 10 accolades uh, Utah Watanabe I thought was glaringly absent from the A-10 all-rookie team this year and I'm not sure he's the kind of kid who would come out and try to prove a lot of people wrong but when you look at his stat line 5 of 12 from the field he joined Patricio Greeno and Joe McDonald leading all scorers with 12 points. He grabbed uh, six boards of his own, had two assists and a steal. I, I mean, Utah played incredibly well. He led, uh, was second on the team in minutes, was incredibly talented on, on both ends of the floor, did not play like a freshman in any way, shape, or form. And you have to wonder if a lot of coaches watched that game and thought, man, I, I screwed up not putting on, on, on my all-rookie team. Well, I, I tweeted about that when I saw it and how I was equally shocked as you were because I've, you know, 
broadcasted every game that Yuta has played in the Division One level in his career. And, you know, no offense to anyone else who made that, that freshman team, but, uh, you know, he plays on a team that's won two-thirds of their games, 21 of 33 or so, or, or 32. A very good team that's won a, a Diamond Head Classic Championship and and some other huge games. Now, he did go through a gap where he had some struggles because uh, they started to watch tape on him and figure out, you know, some of his tendencies, so he had to adjust his game. But the fact that he has adjusted his game, <clears throat> excuse me, David, to where it is right now. And, you know, the shots that he takes are clutch shots, are important parts of the game for GW, are times when they're down by one to Wichita State or losing uh, to, to uh, Richmond or was it St. Louis or some overtime game or hitting two technical free throws in an in incredibly important part of, of a game. Uh, these are shots that freshmen not only won't take, but uh, are never asked to take. This is not the responsibility of a guy who's just played 20 games at the Division One level that's supposed to take, but he doesn't act like that. He hasn't acted like that uh, since the beginning of the season. He plays like a junior or a senior in a freshman body, and yes, he has to grow into it a little bit, but he's got so many tools, and it's so exciting from my job, from my standpoint, to be able to watch that maturation and, uh, you know, if some media member from a major metropolitan area, New York or Philadelphia, uh, watches another team so many more times than they watch GW and they don't realize how good Utah is, that is their mistake. That's their embarrassment. That's their fault because Utah uh, not only deserves to be a freshman, uh, you know, uh, top five, but he deserves, uh, you know, some accolades just for being a, a most valuable player, if you will, in clutch situations. Yeah, absolutely, and he's a guy that, you know, Kevin Larson had a, a, a generally strong season. He had an outstanding game tonight, played really tough in his 30 minutes, pulling down 15 rebounds, uh, which which I think has to be one of his better rebounding performances of the season, along with 10 points, only committed one foul, ran the floor very well, uh, where I think John Capriva played pretty well over the course of the game. He did seem to get a little uh, tense, a little anxious, when that 2-3 zone was collapsing in on him by Duquesne, Kevin really never faltered in any way, shape, or form, had committed no turnovers. Um, but Utah, if Kevin is an A-10 all-conference all third teamer, Utah's got to be in that conversation. You know, they both are, play that forward position. And I would say that Kevin, and partially this has a lot to do with the fact that he has been sort of the bullseye target of a lot of coaches, but... Utah, I really think, has been just as important on the offensive end. And, you know, because they do so well rebounding as a team, I think you could make that case for Utah, not just as a rookie, but just as an overall player on this squad. Yeah, I mean, you're, when you were saying that, I thought about uh, how important Isaiah Armwood was uh, to GW last year and the last couple of years because it was another big, you know, that the defense had to decide upon. Um, how to to play defense and now of course Yuta is not that type of player yet um but he is still 68 he has great length and he's he hustles which is what Isaiah Armwood provided for this team uh the 110% the diving all over the floor that uh, never giving up on any play trying to block every shot on defense that's what Isaiah did that's what Yuta does and even though he doesn't have the the weight maybe or the upper body strength that Isaiah does he has the will and the hustle that you need on a basketball team to be successful. And that's what he provided tonight uh, against Duquesne is, is, uh, you know, he was that second, uh, uh, option 
in the front court. John Capriva did a nice job tonight. Tonight, as you mentioned, he had nine points and six rebounds. He doesn't get credit for a lot of the tapaways uh, or keeping the fifty-fifty balls alive that he did. Um, you know that prevented uh, Duquesne from getting second and third opportunities. He he was very physical. He had one play that were, uh, he ripped a, the ball away from Dominic McCoy. Um, so this is the ki- type of aggressiveness that that GW needs. Uh, from their forwards if they're going to be successful against Rhode Island because that's where they can, that's where they kind of have an advantage against Rhode Island that they did not exploit at the Ryan Center, uh, in late January in a, a very hostile situation. So, you know, they need, they need to get that kind of physicality from their forwards. Um, some strength, some physicalness. That's what you see from like a Baylor basketball team that GW kind of needs. Um, to kind of show again tomorrow. And I think they can because, they, you know, they've been able to do it the last few games. I mean, even though they lost to Davidson, they were tough in that game against a very hot shooting, incredible team in Davidson. They lost that game. But uh, this tempo that I've seen from the front court is going to be really helpful and hopefully will lead them to a win over Rhode Island Friday night. Well, now's a great time to start talking about that Rhode Island game coming up uh, on Friday night. And, and I'm looking right now at Rhode Island's Atlantic 10 schedule. Mm-hmm. Most recent games, St. Joe's, a loss versus Dayton, a win at LaSalle, uh, but only a three-point win, a one-point loss to Davidson, uh, big wins at Mason and home against UMass, big win home against St. Louis. You, you know, Byron, it's hard to say that any part of the schedule is easier or harder than others because I think that you look at a lot of these teams and, and save VCU prior to Briante Weber's injury, the the – Atlantic 10 looked like an extraordinarily balanced, uh, has been an extraordinarily balanced uh, conference, and, and no team necessarily has been dominant in any way, shape, or form, except for Davidson coming on late. But, you know, none of these games necessarily are, are games or wins to write home about. Rhode Island has been a team that has taken care of business for the most part, and you got to look at this. They've won a lot of very, very close games. And um, among those close games is a four-point win home against George Washington on January 31st. Mm-hmm. And, and Mike Lonergan said in the post-game interview with NBC this evening that February was something of a lost month for the Colonials. And, and I think you could look at it as that game at Rhode Island was really where the wheels started falling off the bus for the Colonials. Yeah, I mean, uh, this Rhode Island team with uh, Danny Hurley, uh, is the, the theme for them, David, is defense. And they play uh, a defense that has got to be top three, you know, maybe the best in the Atlantic 10 for almost 40 minutes a game. And that's what's the difference between this Rams team than what we've seen in the past. They had a tendency in the past, the younger players, not being able to finish games. They were able to play 38, uh, 37, 39 minutes against the team, but not be able to finish them at the end. So E.C. Matthews and uh, this new kid, Jared Terrell, has done a nice job of being able to finish games for them, and that's what they were able to do. They got a key turnover in that game at midcourt when Garino got got uh, the, his pocket picked by Terrell for an easy dunk, and that, that place went crazy. GW had hit a couple threes to go up by five, I think, and uh, looked like the, the tide was turning. But then at the end, a couple of huge possessions for Rhode Island where they scored against GW. GW missed a ton of free throws in that game, I think, Larson, and unfortunately, McDonough, I think, missed seven free throws in that game. And, and in a four-point game, that becomes critical. So all these little things add up. But the one thing that GW has to worry about for Friday night is the defense of Rhode Island. I think the defense for GW will be fine. They just have to figure out a way to get the ball inside, score inside against 
uh, Rhode Island because this Gilitas Barutas didn't play too much in that game uh, in in Kingston. Uh, so uh, if they can get Kevin Larson involved, I mean, we say that every every game, but they need to shoot better, obviously. Rhode Island's not going to give you any easy buckets. It's going to be a lot more difficult than Duquesne provided uh, Thursday night. So offense for, for GW is the key for Friday night's win. Yeah, and Rhode Island and this and this GW team are going to be a very intriguing matchup. Rhode Island, despite finishing third in the Atlantic 10, because of the parity of the conference, definitely not confident about which side of the bubble they're sitting on right now. GW in a position where you have to imagine that they their only path to the NCAA tournament is win the whole thing and get in. Um, so this is going to be two very, very hungry basketball teams, and it's going to be a really interesting question about whether Danny Hurley can impart the essential nature of this basketball game to his squad. And, and they really rely, you mentioned Jared Terrell, E.C. Matthews and Hassan Martin represent a, the lion's share of the team's scoring. Matthews and Martin, the only two players who average double figures for this squad. And, um, you know, who do you see matching up with E.C. Matthews, and, and who do you see matching up with Hassan Martin in this game. Yeah, I mean, that's Garino uh, tab. He, uh, Patricio's going to be the top defensive player against EC. Uh, Matthews, Hassan Martin uh, most likely will get, uh, you know, somebody down low, either Larson or Capriva. If Capriva can hang in there with him, um, you know, that will be a key. Um, maybe you put Garino on Hassan Martin. Maybe you put Joe McDonald on EC Matthews because of the height differences. So those are all these, all these factors. McDonald and Garino are key on defense. Larson clogging the middle has to get some rebounds. Very important. You know, this is uncharted territory, even though Rhode Island is 13 and five, you know, the specifics of a, of a, of a tournament, uh, they haven't been a third seed before. They haven't had this situation presented upon them. GW's been in some huge games this year. They've had to be in a clutch championship games in the Diamond Head Classic and won. They've been in a couple overtime games that they've won um, when they were when they were hot. So they've played Memphis in the NCAA tournament. They've you know played VCU in the semifinals. These are things that Rhode Island has not ha- had to go through. I-, I know that they'll be able to handle it uh, tomorrow night. But if GW can hang with them as they did against Wichita State, for instance, you know, late in the game and suddenly, you know, Rhode Island looks up and said, oh, my gosh, our season is on the line and we're down by a possession or two. You know, your hands get a little tighter around the basketball and and the plays are not as easy to make. So not only is is Rhode Island's defense important and GW figuring out a way to solve it, but uh, no easy baskets. GW cannot allow Hassan Martin and E.C. Matthews to get rolling. Jared Terrell was very physical against GW. You know, something that LG Gill tried to do Thursday for Duquesne, it's like going to be fivefold from Terrell because he can deliver. Not only can he be physical, but he can make shots. So GW has got to, you know, step up. And uh, hopefully those times tonight, uh, the Thursday night, David, when they got, you know, the second team in and they were able to stay with Duquesne, hopefully those minutes will help the starters on Friday night. Very impressed by the fact that it seemed, it really felt like, especially in that second half, that the starters were having to take on a lot of minutes. But, you know, Joe McDonald played 33 minutes. The rest of the guys played 30 or less, right. which is pretty manageable, uh, all things considered, especially when you look at Duquesne's lineup. Jones played 40 minutes. Micah Mason, 39. Derek Coulter, 39. And Dominic McCoy, 33. So, you know, GW definitely didn't have to put too much strain on all the horses. Um, and one guy who came off the bench, and I want to touch base with you on this because it has been a long time since we've done a podcast. Mm-hmm. The role of Keith and Savage in this rotation has been 
a very fascinating one in a lot of ways, and it's become eerily reminiscent. Uh, Yuta Watanabe seems to be what Keith and Savage was to Lasan Chroma, uh, Lasan Chroma's final season with George Washington. As someone who's been around the program, Keithan definitely solid in his 21 minutes of play with seven points and, and you know picked up two assists, grabbed two boards. But Keithan definitely was a lot more quiet in, in on the offense, and he had probably three times as many pump fakes as he had shot attempts. What's going on with Keithan, and, and how do you see him functioning in his role as sixth man? Yeah, no points in the first half, only seven in the second. Uh, the key is uh, defense, David, uh, with Keithan. Uh, if he can show that he can um, play better defense, he will get more minutes. And, you know, they've switched roles. Uh, Utah used to be the sixth man. Now Keithan is the sixth man. And because he's an upperclassman, um, you know, he's got the, the savvy, if you will, when he comes off the bench um, to provide kind of a, a charge for this team. He had a huge jumper in the lane, I think, when, when Duquesne had cut it to four uh, or, or seven or something like that, uh, where, you know, the – Perimeter shooting was working in the second in the first half for GW where they hit eight three pointers. Uh, Keith had hit a jumper in the lane that was key because the Colonials uh, this inside game was 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 slowing a little bit to start the second half and allowed Duquesne to kind of climb back in with Micah Mason hitting you know shots from uh, Buffalo New York uh, a couple of his three pointers. But he did this as well against against UMass on Saturday where he had a couple of bad mistakes early in the game. And then started attacking and being more aggressive and being smart with the ball. So they're definitely going to need Keith. And, you know, he could be that dark horse. He could be that guy that could make a huge play against Rhode Island that can make a difference in the game because he's an upperclassman. You know, I see no turnovers for him today. Seven points, two rebounds, two assists, solid numbers, not spectacular. You know, and Keithan's a double figure scorer. So he can do a lot more than that. He didn't need to do it against Duquesne, but I, he's going to be one of those players, David, that's going to need to pull off some some heroics uh, for GW to win four straight in this tournament. So I know it's almost 1 a.m. now. Uh, at the time we're recording this out in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, there are maybe some more onion rings to find somewhere <laughs> or some potato skins underneath your yeah, bed in your hotel. Maybe some chicken farms. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what. The last time I was in Brooklyn, <laughs> and, and, and I have to get permission, and on another episode I will try to tell you the story of a couple of coworkers from GW on the way out of Brooklyn after the game against UMass. I need to get permission to say that okay. uh, on the podcast beforehand. <laughs> but um, I, what I can say is that I can't remember where Matt Ackerman and I were staying, but we got ourselves chicken parm sandwiches at like 3.30 in the morning. Yep, yep. And, Byron, it was like eating heaven. It was incredible. <laughs> And, and I live in Irvine, California now, and everything closes at like 9 o'clock except for In-N-Out. And all of these people who just believe in the cult of In-N-Out, at 4 in the morning, there will be 30 cars wrapped around the In-N-Out burger because they know the secret menu. But my cynicism out of the way. Um, Byron, GW's taking on Rhode Island. Y you know, I, I, I said this before. I've said it to a lot of friends, and, and I still stay by this. I have literally no idea how this Atlantic 10 conference tournament is going to proceed. And although I think save for Bonaventure beating St. Joe's today, most things have gone sort of according to the script. Right. I think these next three days could be absolute chaos. And that said, how do you see GW squaring off against Rhode Island and how do you project this game going? Yeah, I mean, that's what's great about the quarterfinals. And I think you're right. There's going to be some crazy things happening on Friday 
uh, afternoon because it is such you know a close uh, conference this year. A lot of teams you know started started slowly and then got going like Davidson did, or started fast like GW hit a bump in the road. And now it's trying to get going again. VCU the same way with the Briante Weber injury. They had enough to barely get by a Fordham team that didn't have Eric Pascal. Almost crazy. Well, one of the biggest upsets here in the tournament. It would have been, it would have knocked the uh, A tournament A10 tournament upside down. But this Rhode Island game is critical. Hurley's a great coach. Uh, they've already beaten GW, so they have the confidence they can do it again. Uh, but the Colonials, I, I believe, are tournament tested, whether it's uh, the NCAAs, the A-10 last year, or the Diamond Head uh, this year. Uh, they play big teams in big situations, and they've got upperclassmen uh, that, that can go through it. So, um, you, you know, I believe that, you know, GW shooting well can get off to a nice start on Friday night. However, the second half is critical because Rhode Island did not have to play Thursday. They've been resting here. They've been at the at the hotel. We've seen them in the hallways or in the on the concourse level. Um, they've been shooting around, relaxing here a couple of days. The second half, the legs of of Rhode Island versus you know GW strength, uh, it'll be critical to see how the Colonials handle any uh, any times where they they have some droughts. So, um, you know, the toughness of this team is going to be tested in the second half, and that's where it's going to come down to uh, for, you know, GW to be able to pull it off. If they can continue to hit from the outside, you know, this is the fifth consecutive game now, David, where they have averaged averaged at least 10 made three-pointers. That is absolutely amazing. If you had told me that from the beginning of the year when they were struggling to hit threes, they don't have Maurice Creek anymore. Now they have found guys – uh, Joe McDonald, uh, Utah Watanabe, Nick Griffin, Paul Jorgensen, even Patricio is starting to hit some threes. John Capriva is close to 50% this season on three-pointers. So they're going to need these guys to kind of hit some threes and start to give Rhode Island the pressure that they have to score, score on every possession. And if GW's defense can come up big in, on those possessions when Rhode Island uh, feels a choking point, they can win the game. Let's talk worst-case scenario real quickly. GW now has advanced to the quarterfinals of the Atlantic 10. Uh, they have already eclipsed 20 wins on the season. Right now, if uh, all hell breaks loose, George Washington falls to Rhode Island. Is GW an NIT team right now in your mind? I mean, I think so. I think 21 and 12 would be enough to get an NIT bid. Uh, you wonder what the committee thinks of you know, the possibility of a Smith Center home game. Um, you know, There's still a lot of good teams that would be out there. Maybe, a, you know, if you look at the bracketology, maybe a Stanford or a Kansas State. So there's going to be some teams out there that they could play that would be very difficult. But, uh, you know, there's there's nothing to sneeze at getting an NIT bid, getting an NCAA bid, then an NIT, then an NCAA. I mean, that's the example of a program that is continuing to win and continuing to hit 20 wins each season is a good legacy to leave. Uh, if you go to a, a postseason tournament each year, you're building experience for those juniors for their senior season when a Virginia comes to the Smith Center or when, uh, you know, Rutgers or Penn State arrives at the Smith Center. Uh, this will certainly help them uh, next season. But, uh, you know, the great thing about it is they still have a shot for the NCAA tournament if they can uh, continue to win, and that starts with Friday's game. That's a good point. Last question, fill in the blank. GW will win if they score how many points? Wow. Uh, I just feel like Route 66. I think if they can hit 66, uh, that will be enough to win. They only scored 55 at Rhode Island last time. 
Rhode Island's a tremendous defensive team, but they can get that close to 70, they will win the game on Friday night. Byron Kerr, the voice of the George Washington University Colonials, man, myth, legend, consumer <laughs> of Buffalo Wings. Thank you very much, Byron. I know it is late out there. Give my best to the family and everyone in the Barclays Center, and uh, looking forward to hearing your call tomorrow night. Thanks so much for uh, the interest, and uh, we're available on TuneIn, WFED.com. Once again, we'll start on 10.50 a.m., but we'll move over to 1500 a.m. after the Capitals game, and uh, good luck to GW. It's going to be a lot of fun to call the game against Rhode Island. Thanks, David. Hey, thank you, Byron, and thank you very much for joining us here on Hail to the Buff. We're going to call it a night because... By the time you're listening to this, the game will be starting just momentarily, and uh, and Byron needs beauty sleep. So uh, that's it. That's all we got, and uh, I'll get better at this podcast thing. I need to get some more experience because it's been like six weeks, and I've had beers. Thanks very much for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow night.